Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. The New York Mets got more bad news Monday when Joanna Cespedes suffered several fractures in his right ankle. The injury reportedly occurred when Cespedes suffered a violent fall on his ranch in Florida. With general manager Brody Van Wagenen declined to offer specifics on how exactly Cespedes fell. This led to setbacks and a blow from the Mets who are paying Cespedes $29.5 million this season and the same salary again next season. But depending on how this injury occurred, the team could try and get out of the rest of the contract. Welcome into the Amazing Mets podcast, everybody. My name is Benson Fexer, usual producer here on this show, but uh, Tim couldn't join us tonight. So I'm uh, sort of coming out from behind the scenes uh, to host it here with our usual host, Al. All right. Hello, guys. We are, uh, just like uh, Benson said, Tim couldn't make it today, so we're just going to go with uh, me and Benson for an hour until 10 o'clock. So I'm just going to go into the uh, just the weekly rewards here. So this is going to be quick, just a couple minutes. Um, the hitting MVP is going to go to Rosario. He's, there, he's batting 261 on the year. Um, the guy, Mickey, has put him as a leadoff spot instead of uh, McNeil these past couple games because he wants McNeil more deep into the lineup to be scoring some runs. Obviously, he's been working with the just with the Nationals. And obviously, he had the uh, leadoff home run a couple of days ago. And he also, the um, um, last two couple of games, he's been getting – on base, his first at bat, he had a line drive, uh, line drive single yesterday. So he's he's going to be my hitting MVP. Um, relieving what um, reliever? It's gonna go right back. Hello guys, if we're having. Yeah, yeah. We just saw uh, slight technical difficulties. Go ahead there with your awards. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um. Right into the uh, MVPs quickly. It's gonna take a couple. It's only gonna take a couple minutes. Um, leading off is gonna be um, hey MVP. It's gonna be Rosario. Um, he's batting 261 on the year. He's been uh, obviously had that leadoff home run a couple of days ago. He um, not not this game, but the last game also. He got he uh, hit a line drive single to start off the game. And that's always good to start off the game with a nice hit. You get the get the game going. You know already uh, just start off the game good. You know get that especially with Rosario who's the best guy on the team by by a mile. We could uh, you know get get um, steal some bases and uh, get us on the board early. Um, reliever is going to go to uh, Edmund Diaz. You know he shut the door yesterday to get that sweep. You know obviously with a lot of our bullpen injured, Lugo's out, uh, Wilson's out, Familia's out. You know there really isn't anyone else to give it to besides Zellman. You know he's he's been playing average and Diaz is a uh, pickup since the beginning of the year and I like what I'm seeing from him. So I gotta give it to Diaz. And starting pitcher, um, I'm gonna give it to Degrom. Obviously, 
you know, he had that, uh, sorry, yesterday. he gave us a home run um, in the first inning to, I believe, Rendon or Ian, I believe it was Ian. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I was, again, scared that he was going to go into another bad start, like he's been doing the past couple of games. But, um, you know, he stepped it up big time. He showed us that uh, he won that uh, NL Cy Young for a reason. And, um, you know, he pitched He pitched very solid. Just besides that run, it was smooth sailing from there. So, in like, seven innings. And, uh, yeah, if, if there would be a runner-up, though, it would be Zach Wheeler, who is finally healthy and, you know, knock on wood. Um, and he's been showing us, you know, there's the reason why the Mets drafted him. And, again, um, last night um, – Couple nights ago, he pitched uh, seven seven innings, allowing three runs. Um, you know, there's there's one thing the Mets have have been having trouble with is pitchers going deep in the games. And these last couple of games, Max did it, Wheeler did, Degrom did it. They all went six plus innings, and that's always uh nice to see. So, we're at, with that out of the way, we're going to jump into our uh, first topic, which is guys like Carlos Gomez, Rache Davis, all the minor league call ups having a uh, huge effect on the Mets and maybe that, uh, you know, life-giving boost that the uh, the Mets needed. So we're going to jump into the obvious, the, ob- the most obvious one, Benson, um, you know, Carlos Gomez. Do you think this guy can produce at um, you know, the level he's been producing at these past couple games? Do you think he can do it consistently and be our uh, starting uh, center fielder or left fielder now that uh, Cespedes is out, which we'll be talking about a little bit? Yeah, Carlos Gomez has the track record to be able to to put up the numbers that he's been putting up on this little time here, second time around with the New York Mets. But really, it's just going to be the test of consistency with him. Uh, He's always had big pop in his bat, and he showed that uh, against the Nationals with the big comeback. And really, again, it's just going to be a matter of consistency and if he can put the ball in play on a consistent basis because strikeouts have always been his problem going back to his times with the Brewers, the Astros, the Rays, you name it. Uh, the strikeout bug has definitely bitten him. So if he can cut those down, uh, he could definitely be a solid piece. I'm not going to name him a star at this point in his career, but I mean, he he could be a starting piece on a, uh, on a decent Mets team. Yeah. You know, it's also kind of weird to see him with Cespedes out and Carlos Gomez being his replacement. Obviously, that's who the Mets were going to trade for in 2015 at the trade deadline, shipping uh, Flores and Wheeler to Milwaukee. At the time, Flores was actually – on, on that year, he was on pace to hit 30-plus home runs. He had about 15 during the All-Star break. It was on pace to have a very good year. Um, Wheeler at the time just was injured. He was on the DL. So it's, it's also – it's weird to see Flores did leave the Mets, and Carlos Gomez did come to the Mets, but not in the way um, we'd expect and also, we also have Rajay Davis, who obviously hit that clutch through on home run. But one thing I'm excited about, especially those two, we have Gomez and Davis, especially Davis, they give us a lot of speeds on the base, a lot of speed on the base pads, which obviously Rosario is our fastest guy by far. Yes, McNeil and Nemo hustle, but um, you know, no one, obviously you saw with the walk off, like infield single that Rosario is a, a mile ahead of everyone else. So it's a uh, it's nice to see that um, you know we got some speed again, and I guess same thing with Davis. Do you think um, there's a possibility he starts in maybe they put him over Lagares if they do like McNeil, Gomez, and Davis? Or do you think you'd rather have someone like Lagares in there? Yeah, it depends really 
A, how J.D. Davis is going with the bat, and B, what Mickey Callaway values that day. If, if there's a tough pitcher going uh, against the Mets, the offense may be valued. If it's a you know mediocre 3-4-5 uh, guy in the rotation pitcher, maybe you throw the guards and value defense. But it, it's really a, a mixing match, uh, Mickey going forward there. Uh, and it's just going to go, I believe, game to game, series to series, who's hot, who's not, who they're facing. Uh, that type of stuff. I mean, J.D. Davis has been a, a pleasant surprise, I'd say, for the Mets so far. Uh, we had him on the podcast a little while back here. But uh, I think the Mets should be happy with the contributions that they've been getting from him. Um, but it'll definitely be a mix and match game regarding the whole Davis uh, regard situation. Yeah, you know, I actually didn't. I just found that a couple of days ago that uh, J.D. Davis played outfield when they subbed him in. So just another thing, you know, to his, uh, you know, already big. Uh, you know, ref, um, you know, big, uh, oh, Lord, if I can see it. Uh, big, you know, almost, uh, oh, God. <laughs> Pretty much a bunch of things we can use him for. I don't know why I can say that. Um, you know, obviously, you know, J.D. Davis, like you said, was a pleasant surprise for Mets fans. You know, I didn't expect him to just, I expected him to just be, you know, a bench piece. But obviously with Fraser struggling and J.D. Davis, you know, being the, one of the hot bats on the Mets, you know, I'm you know I'm really shocked that Freddie hasn't even been cut yet the way he's been playing. Um, so also besides the uh, the two bats that we got from the minor leagues, obviously with um Wolfman, Lugo out, um, and a Familia out, we've had some minor leaguers um, called up from the bullpen, and our bullpen is actually exactly better statistically than it was the beginning of the year than it is now. It's it's better now than it was at the beginning of the year. So do you think that's almost part to blame from like guys like Familia who didn't have the best start? Or do you think it's just you know easy schedule, luck, or you know I mean these, the hitters don't know how to hit against them because you know they're just minor leaguers. Yeah, I mean baseball it's a beautiful game. There's just so many variables that go into sort of deciding you know what factors play into why player A is struggling, why player B is doing well, why veteran with the track record. It, isn't doing well and why the, the rookie is succeeding. Uh, I mean, Juris Familia, you could argue that, you know, hey, they, they've seen him before. He's a uh, he's a known commodity, and uh, it might be catching up to him. But uh, with these minor leaguers, and with minor leaguers in general, they, they provide a spark to the big league club, especially a team like the Mets with how veteran-laden they are. Uh, I mean, veterans, as we saw – not to to call out Manny Machado here, but even in the World Series, he wasn't even willing to hustle uh, in the World Series. But you see a young guy called up, especially a position player. I mean, they're hustling down the base every single time. Pitchers, um, you, you know, they rejuvenate the clubhouse. It's it's life again, especially in a veteran-laden clubhouse as the New York Mets have. So uh, attributing their early success, um, it, it's tough to say as to what. I mean, obviously they have the track record and the ability to, to do all the major leagues. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been called up. And it's just a matter of consistency at this point. And them believing in themselves that, hey, I'm a major leaguer and I deserve to be here. So once you get that confidence and that consistency, then you can sort of sort of depend on those arms a little bit more. But, you know, as of right now, it's a great story. They're rejuvenating the clubhouse. And it's panning out uh, well so far. As you said, you know, the bullpen has been better than it was with guys like Familia in there. So, I mean, kudos to uh, the GM and Mickey for finding those guys and calling them up. And, you know, they've been doing well uh, so far. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, that also makes me question how, why, the, you know, these guys aren't up here on a day-to-day basis and guys like Luis Avilon are, you know, all up here all the time. You know, I'd rather, like, uh, I'd rather have one of those minor league guys up here, someone young, someone, like you said, rejuvenate a uh, veteran-led Mets team, you know, instead of someone like Luis Avilon who, you know, fans don't like, um, you know, obviously he's not, you know, this young stud. You know, we those guys, like we already know what we're going to get out of Avalon. He's not very good. He's not good at all. You know, these guys have the potential. You know, obviously every player has the potential to be great. These guys, you know, no one knows yet. But I'd rather have them up here than, uh, like, again, someone like Avalon who's just, like, we know he's not good. He's, he's, not, he's most likely not going to improve. So that also makes me, once again, question, uh, you know, some – some leadership uh, decisions, which, again, we'll be talking about in about five minutes. So, yeah, we, we still got a couple minutes left with this, uh, you know, the minor league Syracuse, uh, you know, discussion. And, you know, obviously we were talking about J.D. Davis before and, um, you know, why, you know, we talked about how, you know, he played uh, left field a couple of days ago and also that – uh you know, he's one of those guys that's um, been a, a, a pleasant surprise um, that we received from the Astros. Um, once again, do you think that um, it's almost – are you shocked that Todd Frazier hasn't been just benched completely or even cut? Cause, or just even the Mets eating up his contract because it's only paying him about $10 million. So do you think that uh, he should be cut or anything, uh, Todd Frazier? Yeah, I wouldn't say, you know, cut, that's the first time, whatever lingo you want to use there. Not not yet, not at this point. We're still only, you know, 45, 50 games into the season. And, yes, he has struggled. Yes, J.D. Davis deserves to be the starting third baseman over him when he uh, starts at third. But Todd Frazier, I believe, at this point, his career can still be a valuable bench piece. He just needs to transition into that part of his career and – uh sometime soon as the Mets really need to start getting on a roll here if they're going to be able to compete in the the gauntlet that is the National League this year. And, you know, the the NL East now, the Braves heating up, the Phillies playing great baseball. Uh, The Mets are going to have to right this ship and right it soon. As with Todd Frazier, Todd Frazier is going to have to get himself together or else he's not deserving to be on this roster. Now, if we get later into the season uh, and the Mets are – out of contention, uh, you know, it would be wise to keep Todd Frazier on the team as a bench piece and start calling up some of the younger guys. But but as of right now, Todd Frazier shouldn't be getting playing time. Uh, and it might be time. I know uh, several organizations do this when a veteran player is struggling, you know, but he has a track record. It's sort of these ghost injuries pop up. You know, you're like right side strain or, you know, right index finger or something where they can go down to the minor leagues and get themselves right. I don't I'm not sure if the Mets are a type of organization that do that. I know teams like Pittsburgh around the league have done that in the past with guys like Sean Rodriguez, Jung Ho Gong. Uh, there's sort of these ghost injuries that pop up. So I definitely think that might be a wise decision. You know, there's no proving to see if, you know, Todd Frazier is actually hurt. So I think it could be a decision that Mickey Callaway and, you know, Brody make. Uh, to try to get Todd Frazier back on the right track. But with that, we're going to have to head to a network advertisement. When we come back here on Amazing Mets, we are going to uh, transition uh, the discussion from sort of a minor league uh, call-ups with uh, 
Carlos Gomez, and Rajay Davis. And we are going to be discussing uh, the sweep over the Nationals, a high point uh, for the Mets in their early season. Hello, baseball fans. This is Blake here from the Rattle Left Podcast. Join us this Friday at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern for your weekly recap on the Arizona Diamondbacks. This week, we will be discussing the Diamondbacks' last three series against the Padres, Giants, and Pirates, including a series win against the Pirates and an 11-1 to blowout victory. We'll be talking about Zach Greinke's comeback season and what his chances are of actually winning the National League Cy Young. After a disappointing first year in Arizona, Zach Greinke is picking it up, only getting better with age, and he's looking to make a case for the league's best pitcher in the National League this year. Also, with Zach Godley moving back to the bullpen, we will discuss who could take a spot, including John Dupontier and Taylor Clark. All that on this week's episode of Rattle Up, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you there. All right, and we're back. And like Ben said, we're going to be jumping into our second topic, which is the Mets sweep of the Nationals, which was a uh, a pleasant surprise out of you know out of many things. And obviously, you know, coming off a sweep of Miami, who sweeps us. Very weird to see us getting swept by Miami, but then sweeping. You know, their record doesn't show it, but they actually a very talented team in the Washington Nationals. Um, for one thing, obviously the, the pitching and batting were both consistent at the same time. You know, the Grom pitched very well, and at the same time, the bats were lighting up. Obviously, we talked about Carlos Gomez and Rajay Davis, who uh, played very well in that series. Well, Rajay Davis only had one at bat, very clutch, as we know. Carlos Gomez though hit the double on the third game of the series, hit the go hit the go ahead home run in the last game of the series today. Um, so do you think this is um you know almost a uh you know a luck a luck based uh luck based sweep you know with uh, obviously you know a lot of their big guys like Soto struggled during that series you know the um, Scherzer did pitch well but the bullpen obviously it was a the Mets almost have the Mets almost have one fifth of their total runs against Washington bullpen. So do you think it's just the bullpen laying them down uh, for Washington, or do you do you think that it was the Mets just purely outplaying them? Yeah, well, let's just get something out of the way here first. The Nationals are no longer a good nor relevant baseball team. I mean, they're on pace to lose over a hundred games right now, and the Marlins are about to pass them in this division. They're not a good team anymore. And I was reading an article this morning about potential trade fits for Anthony Rendon. They need to embrace the rebuild. And, you know, I think it was just a case of of the Mets catching the Nationals at, at the right time. I mean, and that that's really the case with a majority of baseball games, baseball series. It, it's more when you catch the team rather than, you know, the overall record. I mean, it it just happens to be that way. More times than not, if a team comes in pitching otherworldly, but they don't have a good record, then they they still may win that series. Or if they're hitting the ball well for that week, they may come in and knock the ball around, even though they're, you know, a sub 500 team. And th- this sweep over the Nationals, it kind of was a must sweep for this Mets in the season. I mean, they went into the series sitting at 20 and 25, and if they would have went in there and had the Nationals come in and beat them up. The season might already be in the drain, but they saved their season this series, and it's going to have to continue 
end of the series against the Tigers. Now we we know what the uh, what the Mets did down there in Miami, and it was atrocious. Uh, so we'll see what happens with Detroit. They're one of the worst teams in baseball as well. But uh, we'll see if they come out like they did against a bad team like the Nationals, or if they come out like they did against Marlins. It'll be interesting to see. It. They've got Syndergaard going tomorrow night. It'll be hopefully he can right his ship. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see this series coming up. Uh, the Tigers got a young pitcher, uh, 10.80 ERA, so they should definitely knock around Gregory Soto tomorrow. But um, they didn't do it against the Marlins, so we'll, we'll see what happens with this series coming up. You know, you know, you made a bold claim that the, that the Washington Nationals are not a relevant team anymore. And obviously, I, I, as a Mets fan, it would be great to see them obviously going to rebuild. So now you got three teams intending to be in the East. But honestly, if you are a, uh, if you're a Nationals fan, I feel like there's not too much. There's there's not too much reason for panic. You guys, you guys, they gotta remember, they won the NL East every year since 2011. Besides, and the Mets won 2015. And when uh, they won it last year, you know this team obviously didn't, didn't fare too well in the playoffs, but that's another story. You know, you contended that they're not a relevant team. You got to remember, these guys have arguably the best rotation in the league with Patrick Corbin, Max Scherzer, and uh, Strasburg at the at the top of it. Yes, they do have a very bad bullpen. So you can remember these guys also have one of the best lineups in the league. They have Anthony Rendon, Soto. Um, Adam Eaton, they also have Robles, and they got the uh, pitcher ace, which is very uh, ro- nice to see a young guy like Robles get some time. You know, I even though I'm not a Mets fan, some guys on this um, national team are actually very fun to watch. I'm actually a big fan of Soto. I have him in fantasy. So, you know, honestly, I feel like if the Mets can, you know, if the Nationals, excuse me, can move um, maybe some – Maybe Robles and some, you know, just minor leaguers to get like a big bullpen arm. You know, I feel like that would be the best move. The best move for them, maybe go out and sign Kimbrel. But I don't think the uh, the Nationals have enough money to go and sign him, or even Keuchel, and just just to bolster up some sort of pitching, because you know the bullpen really they are they they thank the Washington for the bullpen. If they had a if they had a semi you know, semi-good bullpen, they'd be a, a, a above 500 team, or even, you know, this round where the Mets were, I'd say. So, obviously, it's a shame to see, um, you know, with Harper leaving someone like Soto almost take his place as, you know, the right fielder and the leader of this team. You know, we're not on Washington Nationals podcast, but we showed each other about them a lot on here because, yeah, the Mets and Nationals have, you know, a history. It's not a very long one, but definitely an interesting one going back to so, you know, I I probably disagree with you on some things, but I feel like, um, you know, if they were to rebuild, um, it would they obviously have to keep Soto. But the other thing is, you have to move Corbin's gigantic contract, and you also have to move Strasburg's gigantic contract and Scherzer's gigantic contract. So it all comes down to that. So, you know, do you think they could even trade any of those guys because just how massive their contracts are? Do even a contending team want those? If it comes to the right partner, any team that has the financial capabilities to do so would absolutely love having Scherzer, Strasburg, or Corbin. 
But here's the reality of the situation. The Nationals need to see the writing that's on the wall. They are 19-31, and 31, the second-worst team in the National League. I'm sorry, they have the names to be a good team, but they just aren't winning. It's great to have the names. It's great to be a contending team on paper. But this team in reality doesn't have an identity post Bryce Harper. We thought Anthony Rendon might step up into that role. Scherzer even wants Soto, but they haven't. It's just the reality of the situation that there is in D.C. right now, and they have a lot of tough pieces that they're going to hopefully try to move. Anthony Rendon is not going to be a national in August. He is going to be moved, and there's little doubt in my mind about that. And it's a question of whether they can move some of those other big pieces. They definitely have to take – you know, a lesser amount with Strasburg and Scherzer and Corbin just because their contracts are so massive. But they could still get a couple of decent prospects and most importantly, move on from those players, move on from this era because the, the Nationals, when they made the playoffs winning the NL East, they had their window then. They had their window with Bryce Harper and they failed to bring a championship back to D.C., It's time to move on from sort of the whole Bryce Harper Nationals era, which they they clearly haven't. I mean, the the team is just in ruins right now, and uh, they need to realize that the worst place to be as a baseball franchise is sort of in sort of in that stuck in the middle mode where you're not contending, but you're not bad enough to justify a rebuild to the fans. But rebuilds aren't often justifiable to the average fan, and you can't pander to them. Sure, the attendance is going to go down, but we've seen very successful rebuilds, and that's how teams build a winning culture and a winning franchise. And we're seeing now that this team was all too dependent on Bryce Harper and his success. Uh, I, I know this is a Mets podcast, and sort of getting on my soapbox here, but the, the Nationals, again, they need to see the writing on the wall, and they need to move on from the Bryce Harper era and make these trades. Because if they don't, I mean, the, the trade value is just going to diminish from these players, and they're going to be stuck being a franchise like the, like the Baltimore Orioles or like they were pre-Bryce Harper. And Bryce Harper saved their franchise, and him leaving uh, might be the guy that ruins their franchise all told. So it'll be interesting to see what the Nationals do here as we are closer to the deadline. Uh, they're definitely not going to be a buying team. Well, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, how uh, you talked about a lot of things there, but obviously you talked about how Rendon is not going to be a National in August. And obviously that means they'd have to, uh, you know, besides possible, you know, places where they could sign, which we could talk about, uh, you know, even him going to the Mets, maybe, but we most likely don't have the trade press. We we have um, Andrew Jimenez. Uh, I think that's what I was saying. If the Mets are willing to ship him because we already have Rosario, um, you know, I feel like that'd be a, a a fair trade for both sides. But I feel like you know, Nash would have to give us a little more. You know, but you know, you also said, uh, you know, the how Harper left and how they're you know not doing too good without him. You know, the thing is, you said also you're comparing to the Orioles and how they're trying to contend. 
And they did remind me a lot of them when they shipped out, you know, when they traded Murphy and everyone expected to trade, at least me, I expected him to trade Harper, you know, at least get something out of him. Cause we, we, like, it was pretty much, you know, we knew he wasn't going to find back um, with Washington. You know, every, every, you know, that's what always, big stars always say that, like LeBron said he was, you know, his finalists were Cleveland and, uh, you know, like, and big names always say that, and what does the respect to the fan base, but let's be honest, they're not going to sign back because there's a reason they haven't signed back with that team yet. If they wanted to, they could have. So I feel like, you know, he did ruin that franchise, but I feel like a lot of national fans are crazy when they said, let's just give um, more time to people that when don't and are one solo to or like you said, Scherzer to step up to become the face of the franchise. And Scherzer like looked like he was good uh, last year. Um, I feel like that again that would have been a perfect time to trade Harper, you know, because Scherzer was having, you know, the best year of his career obviously with the battle for DeGrom for the uh for the Cy Young. So it would it would literally almost would have been perfect because Scherzer obviously would have taken the mantle with Murphy and uh Murphy and Harper gone. So you know, I was honestly shocked that um, they didn't trade Harper, and we've been talking about the Nationals for 15 minutes, <laughs> and we're we're almost we're almost out of time. But to to wrap things up, um, you know, you think it's time for a full and rebuild. I I still believe the Nationals can contend. Um, if the Nationals are only like five games um, under 500 at the time of the deadline, almost do what they did last year, do like a. Uh, maybe trade one guy away like they did with Murphy, but keep all your other guys. Because, again, you know, this, there's a reason four teams in the NL East are trying to contend is because they all believe that they're better than everyone. And they also, if anything, they flip into a wild card spot, a wild, a wild card spot which is uh, which is obviously at least one of the most realistic things that they're going to do. So that's all the time we have for this part of the show. And we're going to jump into our next topic once we run the ads. Hey guys, this is Benson from Bucko Booth, also producer here on this show. Just want to make sure you tune in this Saturday. Very special edition of Bucko Booth that we have lined up for you. We've got Montana Durapo coming on to the show for an exclusive interview uh, with the Bucko Booth crew. So you want to tune in to hear that. He'll be talking about the opener and his uh, his success in the major leagues so far. We're going to be talking uh, about some uh, minor league stuff. Uh, Altoon and Bradenton are off to strong starts. We're going to discuss that. Uh, as well as Nick Kingham. Uh, Pirates need to cut ties with him. Uh, the hashtag DFA Kingham is in full swing, and we tell you why. As well as the, uh, the blowouts in the Rockies series, followed by the... Uh, the blowout win in the final game. How can the Pirates ride the ship heading into this weekend in the big series against the Los Angeles Dodgers? All this and more. Bucket with Saturday, noon Eastern. See you there. Remember, Montana Rapow is joining us. Okay. And we are back for the third section of uh, the New York Mets podcast. And we're going to be talking about um, how Mickey Callaway's job was in jeopardy. Now it's not as much. And. Um, I don't know, like some fans, but I boycotted for the fire of Mickey Calloway and the hire of Joe Girardi, which will be what will be one of the uh, the guys who we're talking about in this section. But first of all, yes, I'm gonna, short and simple, do you think the Mets should fire Mickey Calloway? 
Yeah, M- M- Mickey Callaway needs to go. This national series wasn't enough to convince me that that he's worth you know having the job. And it's really for just this simple reason: when you bring in a new GM like they did with Brody Van Wagenen, you have to allow that GM to pick their guy. Brody did everything he possibly could for this team this off season with the limitations that he had given by ownership. I mean, he did. He had a generally good offseason, um, I'd say, outside of giving up some uh, stud prospects in the, the Cano-Diaz trade, right? So Brody needs to have the power to, to be able to have his guy in place there because, I mean, let, let, let's be honest. He's, Mickey Calloway is still a holdover from the old regime, so to speak. So – and until there is a new head honcho for uh, the New York Mets, uh, I mean, Brody and their relationship isn't going to be as strong as it's going to be with Mickey. Now, Mickey's a he's a great guy, um, but I just don't think he's he's major league. Uh, he's capable of being a major league manager. He was a great pitching coach, a fantastic one, and that's the role that's more suitable for a guy like Mickey Callaway. I mean, you brought up a name, Joe Girardi. Why doesn't he have a job yet? He'd be a great guy, be in New York, winning caliber type of guy, or they could go the, the young, uh, you know, the young way again. It's There are a lot of options for the Mets here, but Brody needs to be able to insert his manager on his team because until he does, until Brody's able to do that, He's not going to feel as if it's 100% his team and he's 100% in charge of the the baseball operations decisions. You know, I, when the uh, Yankees fired Joe Girardi, I almost thought it was going to be a no-brainer that the Mets would hire him. I wanted him, you know, last year when, when he was obviously available and I want him again. There literally is literally the perfect fit. The guy played in New York as a player. The guy was a manager of a New York team. What the what the Mets need right now is obviously we have a lot of young guys and a lot of old guys, but we need an experienced leader, an experienced veteran, with guys like McNeil, Nemo, Rosario, to lead them in the right direction. Mickey Callaway is, you know, definitely a a player's coach. If you know, if you if you'd be anything, um, but he's very hypocritical. And Joe Girardi is. You know, he's been a manager for God knows how long. And the fans would love him. The players would respect him. You know, we, you already have Robinson Cano on there, who's obviously he could help Robinson Cano out with um, maybe some of the struggles. Um, and uh, I feel like it literally was the perfect fit for Joe Girardi. And I, I was shocked that he wasn't even one of the finalists. Yeah, the, the Mets announced the three finalists, and Joe Girardi wasn't on it. I was shocked and blown away, and I still think they should do it. If if the Mets called up right now and talk, to, to, told Joe Girardi and said, do you want to be our manager, uh, there is a 100% chance in my mind that he would say yes. I think that's a definite possibility. Another, I mean, this is going to be uh, sort of off the, the beaten path here, but what I mean, sort of the Yankees. I mean, the Mets are the the little brothers of the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees have been very successful with their strategy of having Aaron Boone as their manager. 
I would still very early into his retirement. Uh, but what, what do you think about David Wright potentially coming back and being a manager at some point for the New York Mets? Well, as a fan, you're going to love that. Um, he is obviously working with Brody and the, uh, you know, with obviously working on contracts. He was one of the main guys in working at the DeGrom contract because David Wright showed him that you can be a Met for life. The fans will love you. You're going to get paid a lot of money. And you know, obviously the deal fell through. Um, do you, is it a possibility? Not at this point. I feel like David Wright, even as a Mets fan, I'd feel like I'd still rather have Joe Girardi than David Wright. Um, I know people might crucify me for that, but um, you know, Girardi's more experienced. If you know, obviously David Wright's a lot younger. He literally has played with the guys on this team. Um, honestly, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be bad. Also, last year, if David Wright was like a player coach, I mean, they had that with um. I forgot it was in like the early sixties when the Mets obviously you first inaugurated. Um, you know, there was a player coach and he played second base. I, I, his name is blanking, but if I ever remember, I'll say. And you know, he was a player coach. He coached the Mets in that. Um, you know, in the early sixties after Casey Stengel. And, you know, I, I, it didn't really work besides, like, 73. But, you know, my point is he was uh, he was in touch. It was a different time in the 70s. But, you know, my point is he was uh, he obviously would have been in touch with the guys on the field. That's the one thing I feel like Mickey Calloway isn't. You know, he really – I feel like he, he really doesn't know his players. Sometimes I just look at him and I'm like, you know, he says – you know, he says he's going to use now. Now he wants to use Diaz for four out saves or potentially five out saves. But then he keeps Gazellan in when he's struggling in, um, when he's struggling in the eighth inning. Like this guy's just hypocritical. Um, it shocks me that we won. I'm surprised we won the series with the amount of saves he made. Um, but you know, back to the original point here. Um, David Wright as a manager, as a fan, you would like to see it. As a play on the Mets, you would love to see it. But you know, the thing it just comes down to is. You know, obviously he's not experienced, but is he going to be able to do that? You know, obviously I feel like then his number has to be retired. You know, the guy's a manager. He's been on the Mets the whole time. This guy literally bleeds orange and blue. So, um, as a Mets fan, obviously you want to see David Wright as a manager. But is it realistic? No, not really. Yeah, and just doing some more thinking on this, uh, you know, sort of topic, Aaron Boone's job that he's done as manager uh, for the Yankees has further cemented his already extraordinary legacy uh, as a Yankee as a whole. Uh, the thing that could go be dangerous with David Wright is sort of this this attitude that fans have. You know, what have you done for me lately? Say David Wright, you know, becomes the manager of this New York Mets team, and you know, he he is terrible, god-awful. Uh, you know, Mets fans are, are going to turn on him, and that, that's just how, maybe not the diehards, but the average fan is, because we live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world. Your, you know, latest thing is sort of what defines you. Now, his, his Mets playing career is going to go down in history as a great one. I feel like if the Mets do go down that route, Brody does decide to hire a guy like David Wright, David Wright himself, it could either further cement his legacy like Boone has done with the Yankees. Granted, the Yankees are 
were a fantastic team prior to him. Uh, but but Wright could either further cement that legacy, or he might tarnish it a little bit. And that that sort of, um, I mean, not meaning to go to the NBA, but sort of like Kobe Bryant with the Lakers. There was rumors swirling about Kobe becoming the next next coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, that could have either further cemented his Laker legacy or ruined it. He didn't want a chance ruining that legacy. Might David Wright be thinking along those same lines with a team that that to to be honest, uh, you know, it's a 500 team right now, and I don't know if he'd want to come back and, and manage this type of ball club unless he had confidence that, you know, they can be a contending team and he can further cement the already extraordinary legacy that he's laid out for this Mets franchise. Yeah, that's a good point. I was I was going to say that if he didn't, you know, and obviously if David Wright, isn't good at the whole managing thing. It definitely could taint his um his his career. Obviously, you know he he left the Mets in such a historic fashion that we've never seen the we've seen final games before in sports like the Eagles, against Kobe Bryant. You know we've seen final games like that, but the way how emotional the fans were and how emotional you know David was on the field, I really don't think we'll ever see that again. And um. You know, if David Wright does not perform to the caliber that Mets fans are expecting, like you said, then just the casual fans will turn on him. I won't. You know, I grew up. Um, I grew up as a Mets fan. Obviously, watched him. I won number five on all sports. I play. I still do because of that man. Um, so I feel like if David Wright were to become the manager of the Mets, um, it's a high risk, high reward. Like it literally the highest reward you could possibly get. Obviously. Uh, it would just almost further cement his legacy as a Mets legend. Um, so, if he were to become the manager, David Wright would need obviously he'd have he'd have a lot of he'd have a lot to prove because he'd uh, he'd he'd have no managing experience. But he worked in the front office and he helped um, you know ink the Grom's contract in. So. If he can do that, I feel like he does have some potential of being a manager. At this point, Mickey Kelly, um, if the Mets go and lose this Detroit series, not necessarily not necessarily sweep it, even just lose it, um, you know that we can we can just be right back where we were with the Miami series. Um, obviously, you don't want that as a fan. You don't want your um, Manager's job to feel like it's in jeopardy because that just creates more tension in the locker house. It was very smart of Brody to come out and say, um, "What's it called that his uh, that his job is obviously uh, safe." Uh, and if he didn't, you know, that could have been really, really bad because you know then you, there would be tension between the players and the coach because you know I feel like there there would be no need to respect him if he's leaving in a week. There would be tension with obviously making in the front office. There would be tension with. Um, there'd be tension with literally everyone because you know now it's Mickey who is you know who is this young skipper that the Mets hired. You know someone like maybe someone like uh, well we had Travis that I know who said you know is my you know is my job in jeopardy? If Mickey's isn't safe, is my safe? You know someone like Todd Frazier who's struggling. If his job isn't safe, is my job safe? Um, so that you know just when one player's job uh, manager manager's job is um. In jeopardy, it uh, it makes almost everyone else feel like they're uh, skating on ice. So, 
Um, you know, back to this whole point here. Um, should Mickey Callaway should should he be fired? Should he be fired? He yes, but you know that's the thing. Everyone's talking about. Everyone's calling for for him to be fired, but no one's talking about his replacement. And obviously, we just did. We talked about the possible candidates: Chuck Tuardi, David Wright. We compared you know, him to Aaron Boone and how he's having he's having some success with a post player, you know, to manager career, and you know, David Wright, you know, possibly may have. Um, I feel like David Wright. Um, he will become a Mets manager, or he will. If he, if not, he'll be a hitting coach, or well, not, 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 not a pitching coach, or a bench coach, or like, so like a manager. I feel like it's not now, though. I feel like um, David Wright is very useful um, in the front office. You know, like I said, he helped um, ink down uh, Durant's contract, and you know what he did is he showed them that you know we. Uh, you know, the Mets have a culture. The Mets have, you know, obviously our whole team pretty much revolves around the fans and that helped DeGrom pretty much stay with the Mets. He showed them that you can you can make money here. You can have success like you did last year if you stay here your whole career. So once again, a lot of time for this section. Last section, we're going to talk about why you all tuned in here. In the first place, talk about um, UNS Espedes. We're paying $20 million to sit on the bench. That's what we're going to talk about in a minute. Hold on, just before we go to break, I just want to throw out two more potential names for that uh, Mets manager spot. Uh, potentially Jeff Bannister. Uh, he was the manager with the Rangers, seven to two uh, division titles in his first two years as the Rangers manager. Uh, he could be an option. And then uh, just a name to throw out. I was doing some thinking now. I mean, no reports lead to really suggest to this, but uh, Jessica Mendoza, uh, maybe the first female uh, manager. Could that be a possibility? Just some things to think about. Uh, we're going to head to break and uh, come out and talk about you in a this. Hello, baseball fans. This is Blake here from the Rattle Left Podcast. Join us this Friday at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern for your re- weekly recap on the Arizona Diamondbacks. This week, we will be discussing the Diamondbacks' last three series against, against the Padres, Giants, and Pirates, including a series win against the Pirates and an 11-1 to blowout victory. We'll be talking about Zach Greinke's comeback season and what his chances are of actually winning the National League Cy Young. After a disappointing first year in Arizona, Zach Greinke is picking it up, only getting better with age, and he's looking to make a case for the league's best pitcher in the National League this year. Also, with Zach Godley moving back to the bullpen, we will discuss who could take a spot, including John Dupontier and Taylor Clark. All that on this week's episode of Rattle Up. 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you there. All right. We are back for our final uh, topic of this episode, which is going to be Elena Cespedes. We are paying the man $29.5 million um, to you know, just go on his ranch, probably probably fell off his horse, because that's the only reasonable thing to think of that he can get injured with his you know, leg. And um, now he's in for the whole season. He's, who knows when he'll be back. No. And this is just another thing of this is just another another casualty on uh, the Mets injured list, which we've been playing year after year. You know, it really does shock me that the Mets never ever spend money. And we signed a with big contracts. Mets fans were ecstatic. We finally had 
you know, possibly in the next phase of the franchise. You know, this guy had such clutch moments in the uh, in the playoffs in 2015. I was at that game when he hit the home run in the NLDS. That place is like a coliseum. Um, and it is a shame to see such a talented player go down. Um, you know, but the but the thing is, do the Mets try to eat up his contract and you know, just release him because he's not going to be on the Mets until anything. He's not. We'll be lucky if he's here next opening day. Um, I don't know if he'll be running. I don't, I don't know if he'll be uh, here between training. Obviously, we don't have the there's always something else when you want to say for this. There's always setbacks. There's always problems. So, you know, do you, if you're in the match, do you eat his contract? Or do you just stick it? Well, just some, some interesting tidbits regarding the UNSS for the situation. Um, if it was sort of personal negligence on the UNSS for this part, they may be able to get out of the contract. Uh, if, for example, I mean, the reason why just going over the injury situation as a whole. Now, let's say, you know, you're J.D. Davis. You're you're running down to first base and you, you pull a muscle, right? That That's work-related injury. And that's why you still get paid just following basic, you know, workers' compensation, that type of deal. But let, let, let's say you're a worker, right? You are a construction worker. Uh, you know, you're building a new skyscraper in New York. And you, you go home and you know, you're doing some things at home, uh, and you hurt yourself. You fall down the stairs. Your employer is not responsible to pay you for the time you take off because you fell down the stairs. This injury is clearly on Johannes Espinus. It is Johannes Espinus' fault. It happened on his property at his ranch because he was being personally negligent. I mean, there's not much around that from what I understand. The Mets aren't liable to pay him from from the reports that I've been seeing. Now they're going to challenge this and see if if uh, you know the the court will be an arbitration case if if they can get out of this contract. And it would be huge if they could because that opens up three million dollars for next season. And uh, maybe if they want to take a run at Dallas Keuchel post draft, I mean this is a big deal and it could turn out to be a big break for the Mets or it could be a big bust if they don't win the case. But just in simple layman's terms, this is not on his employer, the New York Mets. They're not liable to pay him. Yeah, you know, the one thing is though he was injured already before. Um he's gonna drive his ranch, so he might make the case that he was already injured before. And this is only just an extension of that. That if he was not injured playing baseball, he would not have gotten that injury, and therefore, obviously, the Mets must have to pay him. That happened in court. I guess the best if if Seth just wants to keep his money, that's the argument I would use. That uh, you know, that he was already injured in the first place. I'm sure if it does go to court, that's why Seth's lawyers will use. I'm sure. But the thing is with Seth, is that. You know, you know he's actually he's actually just from Washington. And he uh he he's on with the Mets because he he loved the fan base and he loved you know how energized um we won the playoffs. You know the thing is, has he become different since then? Now that he's got his money, you know, the thing is he might recognize that maybe his playing time is done. 
maybe not in the league, but maybe just for the Mets in general. He might see I can help. I could, I could help the Mets and just be like, okay, fine, you win the case. You don't, you you can pay me just a little bit of money, and you can go out and have thirty million dollars more of cash space to go out and get a big free agent, or you can just be a jerk and be like, I want my thirty million dollars. You can eat it up if you want, or you can just pay me as a sit on the sidelines. And you know, obviously, if you're a Mets fan, you want the Wolf Pines to eat up his contract. But you're gonna have to eat up about sixty million dollars, and. Are the World Pines going to want to do that? No. Are the World Pines going to do that? Most likely not. So, it all comes down to, um, it all comes down to, like you said, if if the court ruled that the injury was, you know, it it would not have happened if he wasn't injured baseball, which would mean they'd have to pay him, or that, you know, it was done by personal negligence and that, uh, you know, they, they don't have to pay him. Obviously, this is, um, I've seen injuries like this, but I've never seen someone this injured before when you're on the first but it's, uh, You know, when the guy's healthy, he plays up to, like, an MVP caliber. The MVP, he really is an MVP caliber player. Uh, I remember when he got in 2015. And how how much he, he changed the culture of that team, really. You know, when, especially with Conforto, it helped a lot when he was there. You know, he once. You know, we called up in Florida, then we traded for Cespedes, and then and he also seen all of a sudden just that lineup. You know, it turned around completely. Um, and you know, who knows if um, who knows if um, Cespedes will ever play for the Mets again? Who knows if he'll ever play in the league again? This might be just this might be it. If you're Cespedes, if you if you were Cespedes, do you do you want to retire and just say, you know, you can pay me back five million dollars? Do you guys want to sign a big guy? Like, what do you do if you're Cespedes in this situation? Yeah, and I mean, I'm gonna make an analogy here um, for any of the uh, any younger viewers in our audience. Uh, at at this point in the school year, if you're still in school, a lot of you start mentally checking out. Uh, I feel like that's maybe what Jonas Espinosa is doing here. He's rehab supposedly supposed to be rehabbing from uh, you know surgery with his injury. But why isn't he in Port St. Lucie doing that? I mean, when other players get injured and it's a severe injury and they're rehabbing, they are at their spring training facility. They, they aren't at home now. Yes, his ranch is in Florida, but he shouldn't be on a ranch. Period. He should be in Port St. Lucie trying to rehab this injury, yet as I as I believe he is, he got paid and he mentally checked out. It's, I mean, it's generational wealth that he is acquiring from the New York Mets and the Wilpons. It is. This wealth that he is getting right now, just talking from a you know personal standpoint, he's going to get paid and the money he has right now is enough that not only sets him up for life, but generations to come. Up for life, and from the way he was brought up, you know, in, in the foreign in, in those islands, right? The, the way that he was brought up, he was not living at all like the way he is now. And putting this in the grand scheme of things, he has done it very well for himself personally. But he has put himself, Johannes Espinus, ahead of the organizations that have paid him. Now, say what you want to say about that. But if you're Jonas Espes and you're in his family, why go back? 
I mean, you're set up. If he, if, if he can win this case regarding uh, – you know, getting paid the rest of his $29.5 million this year and another $29.5 next year, why go back? There's no reason to just from a, you know, a selfish standpoint. And, and yes, I can say here that you know, I would go back, but if, if he's going to get paid that money for not doing it, I mean, how many of us really would? It, it's, a, it's a tough pill to swallow for Mets fans, but it's just a reality of the situation. You have to look Add this as if you are going to test this, and that's just my two cents on this situation. You know, I, I really haven't seen anything like this in sports ever where a player is signed to a franchise like the Mets, who obviously is one of the, is obviously the biggest market in the world, and at the same time also has very cheap owners. And He's finally signed to a big deal, and how we electrocuted the line after 2015. I mean, his injury plays like I've never seen before, and it's not just him; it was those, it was that team. But he he had it worse than anyone, and um, to see him go get into it, the amount of money he's been playing, the amount of money he's being paid is it's shocking. It really is, you know, something that we've never seen before. I mean, Mets fans haven't seen this before, and we see the worst of injuries, but we've never seen this before. This happened to any other team. Oh, they would, this happened to the Yankee. Yankee fans would never stop talking about this. And how, if it was Gary Sanchez, they would not stop talking about this. And to us Mets fans, it really is just, it's just our routine. Guys get injured every single day for us. And the Yankees have a bit right now, and respect to being, like you said, for being, you know, he's definitely, you know, his lineups that he produces, you know, what he does for them is, is very clutch. And, you know, the Mets having, honestly, with if they're, you know, with the help that they have, they've had, they've had relatively good help besides the pitchers, pitchers. You know, our key guys, knock on wood here, um, you know, Alonzo, Cano, well, Cano's out now, McNeil's out now, I um, you know, but, you know, most of our guys are, you know, especially Alonzo, are, are good. And, you know, obviously, and even if they are injured, um, you know, Conforto was a little, Conforto's was um, an injury. Lowry had a setback. He's coming back soon. Frazier's back from the DL. Wilson placed on the 10-day DL, came back for a day, injured again, and um, he, he'll be back in about a week or two. Same thing with Lugo, just a 10-day DL thing. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. So, the Mets have had not bad in Chandler with Conforto. I, I don't know what's his timeline, but um shouldn't be too long for him. So, you know, again, knock on wood. Uh, yeah, the Mets haven't had too bad of injuries, but Despis is the one guy that's almost stuck in 2016, and the Mets just kept on getting injured over and over again. So, you know, like you said, he could just sit out and you know he can just be like, you know, don't eat my contract. You know he when he I feel like Cespedes has had Cespedes has a lot of power in this situation because the Wolfons aren't eating, the Wolfons are hundred percent not eating his contract. I'd be shocked if uh, um if the Wolfons ate his contract. But like you said, from a selfish standpoint, there's no reason for him to come back. He has his money. He can he, like you said, he can set up himself for years and generations of his kids. Like he can give each kid like ten million dollars, um, 
But, you know, the thing is, he obviously liked the fan base because Washington offered him a six-year deal, and he refused because he wanted to play the Mets. He liked the fan base. He liked the team. Like the culture that um, us Mets fans you know, bring to the stadium every day. So there's a lot of things that can happen, but I feel like nothing is going to happen between Cespedes and uh, Cespedes and the Wolfons are not a good mixture, and I feel like nothing is going to happen between Cespedes staying quiet, um, Brody Van Wagen and being a uh, Brody Van Wagen and um, previously being Cespedes is. Um, that's the thing. Um, before I just have a minute here. You know, um, Bertie Van Wagen and with Cespedes's, um, you know, uh, Cespedes's uh, manager. So that could be an advantage and disadvantage. You know, Cespedes can you know almost be like, I know what you're gonna do on me. I know what you're gonna try because you know I, I know you. But then you know, Bertie can be like, you know, we're both, you know, we're both on the same side here. We're both just trying to help the Mets win, and if, and if you just accept that, you know, you weren't, you know, that you were injured, you know, by your own fault, personal negligence, not by the Mets, you can help out the team, you can help out the fan base. You, you can end up the way, and like I said, sadly, that's all the time we have today. Um, you know, thank you, Benson, for joining me on the show today. Um, don't forget, guys, use VPN, code VPN 10 it helps guys like obviously Benton out. He runs this thing is super great with all that. And just not not even not just the Mets, but you know the teams like Pirates, Phillies, Yankees, all of us. You know we we really appreciate it if you if you use that. Um, you know Benton, you have any uh, last thing to say before we go? Yeah, just my uh, you know final note on UNSS to this. Even if he knows in his heart of hearts that hey this injury is my fault, he's gonna fight it either way. Um, and the the courts most likely will uphold it because he can make the argument that hey, I was recovering from my previous injury and that played a part in this. So, uh, the Cespedes saga continues for the Mets and their fan base. So uh, we'll see how this all turns out. And, um, hopefully the Mets can have a nice week and we'll get back here for our final episode in May, maybe do some uh, draft previews. And um, yeah, we'll see you guys next Thursday. Have a good night, everybody. Amazing Mets is produced by Benson Fexter. Amazing Mets is a production of the Baseball Podcast Network. For more Amazing Mets content, be sure to head over to our website at baseballpodcastnet.com. Follow Amazing Mets on Instagram at Amazing Mets Podcast. Be sure to give our hosts a follow on Instagram, Benson at Bucks Dugout, and Sal at Sal.Mosca5. Follow the official Baseball Podcast Network social media platforms, Instagram, at Baseball Podcast Net, Twitter, at Baseball Podcast One, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-1, YouTube at Baseball Podcast Network, and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in to Amazing Mets. We'll see you next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.